Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, amen, amen. Thank you, uh, Josh and Choir, for leading us in worship this morning. Can we give another hand clap of praise for that? Amen. Just got a text just a second ago that uh, I want to share with you because I I want us to go back into a time of prayer uh, this morning. Um, But one of our very own, Lynn and Linda Dunlap, many of you uh, know them. Um, they just got a text just a minute ago, a minute, a minute ago that uh, their son in Jacksonville has a brain bleed um, and he's being rushed into emergency surgery. And so Lynn and Linda are on the way right now and um, I think it'd be appropriate for us as a church body uh, to go before the Lord and to pray for them. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. Um, Father, you, um, you never know what comes in life, uh, but we are so grateful that you're always in control And so, Father, I pray now for the Dunlap family, Father, that you would watch over them, that you would keep them safe. We pray for Lynn and Linda's son, um, that he would come through this well, Father, and know right now that believers are praying for them, that their church is praying for them. And God, we believe that you can do the impossible. You're able, because that's who you are. You take our impossibles and you turn them into impossibles. And we pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much um, uh, for uh, that. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning and I'm sure that you do, very good. Turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter five. Uh, That's where we are going to be this morning as we are um, in the third sermon on our series um, on this book of Luke that we've titled, The Man, the Myth, and the Messiah. And we're looking at Jesus that, that, yes, he was a man, he was not a myth, he is the Messiah. And so that's what we are looking at um, in this series. And today, um, we are going to, um, we're going to look at the call of Peter today. We're going to look at verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 13 or so, uh, 1 through 11, and uh, we are going to look at the call of Peter, what, uh, what Jesus did to call Peter as a disciple. Now, whenever I say the word call or called, uh, what do you think of first? I, I know for me, whenever I think of the word call or called, I always think of, of a phone. Now, I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember this, but some of you I know you're old enough to remember this, but I remember this in my grandmother's house back in the day that each household, you only had one phone per household. Anybody remember that? Yeah, just one phone. And, and that one phone had that like 20 foot long extension. You remember that? You remember that? And, and I remember my grandmother had that. It was like a lime green colored phone. Um, it was in the hallway and she would answer it and then take and walk with the cord into the bedroom. I just always remember that. Um, but I always remember also with that phone is, um, uh, and this is years ago, that whenever the phone would ring, people just wouldn't, you just wouldn't jump out of the seat to go answer the phone. You would look at each other and say, you gonna answer that? And you, no, you, I did it last time. You go answer it. Anybody remember that? Yeah, and the reason we didn't answer the phone is why? Because it interrupted what we were already doing. Isn't that right? 
I mean, I'm not going to answer the phone. I've got something to go, I mean, you know, I've got something to do. So uh, a long time ago, we, we wouldn't answer the phone. But now when you say the word call, you think of your smartphones, right? And any, what do you do now? When that phone rings, what do you do? Oh, 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 man, where is it? Where is it? And so you look for that phone. Well, why do we do that? Because we do that because we've, we've received a call. Well, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, Peter has received a call, and it interrupts his life. Because the great thing when God calls is this, it's often an interruption in your life. You'll be walking down a certain path, God calls, and it interrupts your life, and he says, I want you to go in a different direction. And so we're gonna look at the call of Peter. Now I want you to stay with me because look at verse number one, chapter five, and, and uh, we're going to walk our way through this text and we'll look back at Luke four as well. But let's look at this story of God calling Peter, Jesus calling Peter, and what the application or the implication is for us. Look at verse number one, chapter five, and it reads, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. Now, stop there for just a second. Um, in order for us to understand Peter's call, we need to know what happened before the call. Because God always uses what happened before to call you. Because what happened before is actually going to show you a lot in the direction that God wants you to move in. So Luke actually helps us out to understand this. In verse one, he says, now it happened. When Luke uses that Greek phrase, it's actually, it's a transitional statement, which means this, what I'm about to tell you occurred because this has happened. Well, what has happened? What has happened in, in, in Peter's life before he answers God's call. Well, look back in chapter 4. We looked at chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 13 uh, last week. It was, a, it was um, the story of stuttering. I mean, temptation is what it was a story of. <laughs> it was a story of Jesus' temptation. Um, but Peter wasn't there, was he? Peter did not physically see Jesus being tempted. But somebody told him about it. Well, after Jesus' temptation, you look in verses 14 through 18, and, and there we see that Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue. This is in verses 14 through 18 there in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus walks into a synagogue. That's like a church as you and I know it. And he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he says in Greek, if you have your Bible, and I'm sure that you do. That's what he says. And he goes to the book of Isaiah, and he reads a great prophecy. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And in a dramatic moment, Jesus closes the scroll and he tells the people in Nazareth, his hometown, his aunts, his uncles, his cousins, his friends that he grew up with, and he says to them these amazing words. He says, 
today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the text says that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. And his public ministry kicks off. What's interesting here about Jesus' ministry being launched is you would think that everybody loved Jesus from the very minute he began his ministry. But there's a foreshadowing here in Nazareth. There's a foreshadowing of what's going to take place about three years later in Jesus' life. Because Jesus comes preaching the truth, is the fulfillment of the truth, and Scripture says the people turned against him. Do you see the foreshadowing? It says the people turned to rage. Do you know why the Jewish people turned against Jesus? Because he said this, is that the gospel has come for the Jew and the Gentile. And the Jewish people of Nazareth could not take that. They could not accept that Jesus, the Messiah, the gospel would come for the Gentile. And so it says that they turned in rage and they took Jesus out of the synagogue and they took him uh, to the mountain to throw him off. If you've been to Israel, um, we've been a couple of times, and we go stand on this mountain where they were going to throw Jesus off this cliff. They're so angry at him that they want to kill him. And I love what it says in the text, and it says this, that Jesus just walked right through them. He just walked right through them, and they did not touch them. But was Peter there? I I don't know if Peter was there. So Jesus kicks off his ministry, but Peter's not there yet. Well, at the end of chapter four, we then see Jesus move from Nazareth to Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And as was his custom, Jesus went into the synagogue there in Capernaum. And he begins to teach there in Capernaum. Guess whose hometown that is? Say Peter. It's Peter's hometown. And so Jesus, at the end of Luke chapter 4, he goes into the synagogue of Peter's hometown. And while he is preaching, while he is teaching, a demon-possessed man stands up in the middle of the sermon. So if you ever stand up in the middle of my sermon, I'm just going to let you know. But in Luke 4, 33, it says this, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he, the demon, cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with a loud voice. Now what what I love about the Greek is this. Here is the Greek phrase for loud voice. You don't know Greek, but you know what it is, don't you? What word do we get from this? Bingo. Bingo. Megas phone. The demon, while Jesus is teaching, stands up and with a megaphone, with a megaphone, yells out to Jesus and he begins to scream. Now, remember, this is Peter's hometown. He's there, and look at verse number 34 in Luke chapter 4. And then the demon yells out, says, let us alone. Now in Greek, it's actually one Greek word, and it's this, ea. So this demon with a megaphone yells out, ea. And it's actually a term that means, get out of here, you can't stand against me. That's what it means. 
Now, can you imagine what's going on in that synagogue? Do you think everybody's paying attention? I mean, this demon yells out, Aya, Jesus, what do you want with us? I know who you are. And then look at verse number 35, and it says, and Jesus rebuked him. Jesus rebuked him saying, you be quiet and you come out of him. What I love about the way Jesus says rebuke him, it literally means, it literally means, it really means be quiet, don't say another word. In Georgia, it means shut up. That's what it means. <laughs> That's what it means. Now, when you look at, and I want you to picture, because you got to picture Peter here, right? Before he's called, Peter's experiencing something. So he sees this in the synagogue, and you gotta ask this question, why is this demon, why is this demon now shouting out to Jesus? I think the key thing that we need to understand is why this demon is shouting out to Jesus is because of this. Jesus was preaching the word of God. I want you to get this. Whenever the word of God is preached, it always disturbs the spiritual world. Whenever the word of God is preached, it always disturbs the spiritual word, world. So when Jesus, who is the word, who was the word, and he's in the flesh, he begins to speak, he begins to describe and define and teach what, what the scripture says about him, he proclaims the world, word. Listen, whenever God's word is proclaimed, it goes into the spiritual realm. And when it goes into the spiritual realm, it disturbs the spiritual world. And the reason I bring that out is because of this, because the answer to the world's problems is the word of God. Church, we have the answer to the world's problems. We must not fight the world's problems with the world's solutions. The world is asking questions and we have the answer. I mentioned it earlier uh, during our prayer time for Russia and Ukraine, and I believe this with all of my heart that Russia is in the condition it is in because of a godless government. It's because historically, now I'm not talking, there, there are believers in Russia, amen? There are believers and praise God for them. We pray that they will be able to rise up and we pray for endurance for them because they live in a godless government who is out to destroy them. And Russia is in the condition it is in historically because going all the way back to the, to the Soviet Union, they rejected God, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and they have taken on atheism. And they believe that the end all for humanity is their own fleshly success. Listen, if you do not believe in a heavenly being, all you have to live is what you have now. And you're going to get all that you can get, right? They have rejected the God of Abraham. They've rejected the God of Isaac. They've rejected the God of Jacob. And you look at the condition that they are in. 
And we, young people, I believe this all in my heart, we do not fall for the lies of communism or socialism, which are both anti-God governments. They are. That doesn't mean that democracy is perfect. Far from it. It's nasty as well. But at the beginning of our government was the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And so when you reject the word of God, you will end up like Russia. Church, if you reject the preached word of God, you will go into decline. If you reject Jesus' words, you will never disturb the spiritual world. And you will never be able to experience the freedom that which Jesus Christ offers. And so Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, tells the demon, sit down. You keep quiet because what I say goes and you need to get out of this man. And what does the demon have to do when Jesus speaks? Gone. I see Peter sitting on the side going. <laughs> I like this guy. Then after that moment, whoop, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so after Jesus rebukes this demon, it says in verse uh, 36, 37, and 38, and 39, it then goes on, it, take, it transitions from the synagogue, and now it transitions to Peter's house. Do you see the progression? See the progression? He now goes to Peter's house because Peter and others see what just took place, that Jesus has rebuked this demon and Peter knows that his mother-in-law is sick. Peter is a great son-in-law. Because he goes to the Savior and says, um, can you come see her? She's sick. In verse 39, and Jesus walks across the street from the synagogue to Peter's house. It is not far. It is about from here to the education building. If you've been to Israel, you know. You've been in the synagogue, you walk across the street, there's Peter's house. They walk in. In verse 39, and standing over her, Jesus rebuked the fever. The same word that Jesus used to rebuke the demon. Shut up. And it left her. And immediately she got up and waited on them. And so by the end of chapter four, here's what we see, or here's what Peter sees. Peter sees this, that he has witnessed with his two eyes. He sees that Jesus is the Lord over demons and he's the Lord over diseases. And now in chapter five, he's about to see that Jesus is the Lord over the deep. 
He sees Jesus rebuke demons. He sees Jesus overcome the diseases. And now Jesus is going to take Peter on a journey he will never, never forget. And so look back at verse number one of chapter five. Are y'all with me this morning? Look at, look at uh, chapter five, verse one. Now it happened. After all of these things happened, while the crowd was pressing around him. Do you see why they were pressing around him? I mean, you get it? I mean, this is the miracle man. And look what it says that they're doing. And they're listening to the word of God. And that phrase, pressing around, it literally means it, literally means it was like a, a storm. I mean, these people were intense. They were all around. They wanted to get around Jesus, and they wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear him speak. And they gathered all around him. And Jesus, knowing that with all the crowd around him, he had to get away from them. And so look at verse number two. And, it's, and I just love this. Verse two says, and he, Jesus, saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. And so imagine Jesus in his mind saying, oh, I'll just go use those boats. I don't know who they are. Well, he did, but... So he jumps into the boats. He jumps into the boats because the fishermen had gotten out of them and they were washing their nets. Where's Peter? He's washing the nets. Wait a minute. We've just seen these great things happen. Right? Jesus, the Lord of the demons. Jesus, the Lord of the diseases. And now he's back washing nets what's 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 going on what, what's going on well here's here's what we know from our text is is, is that, G, that, that Peter uh, went back to fishing and on this night he had a terrible night he couldn't catch fish it was terrible and so they come back the next morning and they're fixing their nets because he believed he was going to do the same thing he always did the very next night that's until Jesus showed up. Because now Jesus is about to change his life. And by the way, that's typically how God works. You go about your normal day, minding your own business, and he knocks, and your life is changed. Now look at verse number three. And he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him, to circle this phrase, put out. He asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. Now that Greek word uh, for put out is the Greek word epinago. It's epinago, which means to, it, it means to, to push away, and it literally means this, get back into the water. It means get back to where you came from. So do you picture this? Peter's frustrated. He feels like a failure. Yeah, Jesus, I've seen what you've done over here. I've seen you cast out demons. I see you heal my mother-in-law, um, and, and, and I get that, but, but God, I, I, I'm frustrated. I can't do this. And Jesus says to him, you get back into the water. You get back into the water because, Peter, I want to use your boat as my pulpit. Meaning, I want you to get back into the water because I'm going to use something of yours. And so Jesus says, epinago. 
He says, you get back into the water. I want you to write this down. One of the things that we can see from Peter's call to the, to the, to the, to the discipleship is to be a disciple. And the same thing in our life as well. Write this down. God's will will call you to obedience. He will call you and he will call you to put out. Epinago. God's will calls you to obedience. So when God calls, as he does here through Jesus to Peter, you got to pick up the phone. You pick up the phone and you obey. Now watch this, watch this. Look at verse four. When Jesus had finished speaking, which means Peter heard every single word Jesus said, because he's in the boat. He heard everything. And now he says to Simon, I want you to put into practice what I just taught everybody. He said, put out, there's that same phrase again, epinago, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now just wait a minute. Now you know how this works. Because Peter's like, no, no, well Jesus, you, you've already told me to put out. You, you already told me to get in the boat with you. You already told me to put out, I'm, I'm good. That's, that's good, you've already asked me. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. You've heard me, you've seen me, you've experienced me, you've already obeyed me on one thing, now I want you to obey me more. And I want you to go out. And then when you go out, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let down your nets. That phrase, let down your nets, it's actually a medical term that's only used by Luke. Why? Because Luke's, he's a doctor. And the phrase, let down your nets, it literally means, Peter, relax. It says, relax. You go to the deep. You drop your nets into the place where you just came from. And you obey me. I want you to write this down. God's will is also a call to trust him. God will often call you to go places where you think there will be no fruit. And he says, you trust me. You trust me. You obey me, you trust me, you relax your arms, and I will take care of the rest. And I believe this, I believe this this morning in a congregation this size, I, I believe um, that, that God is working on some people, the Holy Spirit's working on people and has been in obedience and in trusting. Well, let's look at Peter's example again. Y'all good? Y'all hanging? Look at verse five. And Peter answered and he said, Master, Master, Jesus, Jesus, really? Do you, do you know what I just did last night, Jesus? Do you, Jesus, we worked hard and, and we caught nothing. And Jesus, you know, really, you're just a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I mean, you, you kind of see that, right? Pastor, we worked hard and all, night, all night and we caught nothing. But look at this because this is the key to the text but I will do as you say, and I will let down the nets. Whew. 
Peter says, I will do as you say. The King James Version, some of you may have that, but uh, the King James Version says it beautifully. I love the phrasing of it. The King James Version says it this way, nevertheless, at thy word. Isn't that good? Jesus, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Yeah, you can do it with demons. Yeah, you can do it with the diseases, but I, I, don't, I don't get this, Jesus. But nevertheless, at thy word. Folks, one thing that we have to understand, that phrase, nevertheless, at that word, at thy word, that is the catchphrase of all the saints that have gone before us. That's what makes a saint. Jesus, God the Father, nevertheless, at thy word, centuries all before us, men and women who gave their lives to the gospel, they would go to places that you would never want them to go to do what you would want them to do. All of the saints who have gone before us, these godly men who, who impacted the, the kingdom of heaven, they said this phrase, nevertheless, at thy word. You see, listen, when God calls, God never calls you at the right time. Does that make sense? It's always right in his time. Well, I got to do this. I got to do No, no. When God calls, it's time. It's time. And as a believer in Christ, a, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, our response is, God, I don't get it. Man, I've been working hard. My, the things are difficult right now. The situation isn't perfect. But, but God, here's what I'm going to say to you. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will do it. You see that all in scripture. Abraham left the Ur of Chaldees. God said, leave and take your family to the promised land. Nevertheless, at that word. Noah, hey, build an ark. And by the way, it's never rained before. Noah. Nevertheless, I don't get it, but nevertheless, Moses. God said, Moses, you go back to Egypt, you go to Pharaoh, and you say, let my people go. But God I got a stuttering problem like Pastor Chris does. <laughs> and God said, I called you. I called you with your stuttering problem and in your older age, I called you. I got it. I got it. How about Joshua? How about Joshua in the battle of Jericho? Hey, Joshua, man, you're doing a great job leading my people, but uh, about to give you some weird news. I need you to walk around the, the walls every day for seven days and on that seventh day, you know, just for kicks and giggles. Do it seven times and don't say a word. Nevertheless, God, I don't understand you. I don't know your ways. I don't fully get it, but nevertheless, at that word, I will relax my hands and I will do what you say. That's the true test of discipleship. Obedience to God's way is the true 
test of whether you're following Jesus Christ or not. Many times in my ministry, I've moved a handful of times and every single time I've had to come to the same conclusion as these men and women of old. Nevertheless, Lord, at thy word, I'll do it, Lord. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll do it, God. But that's what God wants, amen? Folks, as people of, of faith, we are to celebrate when people obey God's command. We celebrate it, we rejoice in that. We rejoice that, that somebody's taken a step of faith because they believe that God is working in their life. Well, look, look at verses six to eight. Watch what happens when Peter obeyed. When he relaxed, he trusted, he went into the deep. Verse six, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Wow. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. After they came, and they came and filled the, both of the boats up so much that both boats began to seek above and beyond. When you obey, God does above and beyond all that you can imagine or think. He goes far beyond. Well, God, I got my life planned out. No, 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 that's great. And yeah, you may have one boat full, but I can give you two boats full. But you've got to let go. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Verse eight, but when Peter saw this, I love this, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, oh God, go away from me for I am a sinful man. Go away, Lord, I am a sinful man. When Peter gives us the great example, and I want you to write this down, that when God's will, or God's will is a call for us to serve him with humility. The greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, who is Lord over the demons, who is Lord over the diseases, and has now just showed Peter he's Lord of the deep. It drives Peter to his knees. The great work of God drives us to our knees in humility, not in arrogance. I remember an old story, I don't know if this is true or not, but the point is, is, is correct. It's a story of a young pastor who had been struggling with his preaching. It just wasn't fruitful and wasn't great, and um, he, he had his mentor come to listen to him, and the mentor watched him and watched the young pastor preacher walk into the pulpit, and the young pastor walked into the pulpit with his head held high and his shoulders back, and he had a, an aura of confidence. But the longer the preacher preached, and the mentor noticed this, the longer he preached, it was like the worse it got. Kind of like what you'll feel right now. And the pastor's head began to drop and his shoulders began to sag and he ended the service and he just slumped down the steps and he had lunch with his mentor and he said, tell me what's going on. And the mentor said one thing, he said this, if you would have walked into the pulpit the way you walked out of it, it would make all the difference in the world. See, we're called to humility when you're called to follow Christ and he calls and you answer, you fall on your knees in humility and you serve and you stand in awe that this Lord over the demons, this Lord over the diseases, this, this Lord over the deep could use somebody as sick and as poor and as weak as you. That ought to make you feel good, right? 
because God can do it. And all he simply wants for you is to put away from the shore. Put away from the shore. Look at verse 9. Amazement had seized Peter and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Debbie, who are partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon, he said this, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. In verse 11, here it is. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left, what's that word? Everything. And they followed him. When God calls, when God calls you, it's a call to change your mission. Peter, that day, he woke up thinking, you know what, I'm just fishing for fish. And then Jesus came by and said, I want you to go catch men. And it changed his life forever. I too believe it will change your life forever if you would be like Peter and say, nevertheless, I'll do as you say. And you leave everything. One last thought and then we'll close. I'm fascinated by Jesus. Really two questions to Peter. Verse number three and verse number four, Jesus actually tells Peter two things. He says, put out a little way from the land. And then the second one he says, go into the deep. And I've thought about this in my life a lot. I I see it in many people's life as well. Peter wanted to stay close to the land. You know why? Because he could touch the ground. It's always safer in the shallow water where you can feel the sand beneath your toes. Except on the coast of St. Simon's Jack Island where you can't see anything beneath the water, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but it's safer in the shallow end. But God's calling you, I want you to go deeper. And I want the water to go over your head because I'm your savior and I'm the Lord of the deep and I'll take care of you. Will you say, nevertheless, Lord, I'll do it. Father, we come before you today. Father, I pray that you would you know what, Father, I'm just going to sit in silence and let you work. <laughs>